Well, you may be seated and Merry Christmas to every one of you. And I wanted to remind you about Growth Track. Now, everybody who's part of Res Life community, we want you to go through Growth Track. It's four weeks. Every month we start over again. So next month on the 7th, we'll be starting new Growth Track. It takes place during this service right over there in the chapel behind the starting line. There's a week. First week is about knowing God then finding your freedom, discovering your purpose and making a difference. And we want everybody to go through. So uh, if you're able to go through this month, please get online, stop by guest services, but get signed up. And uh, today, with tomorrow being Christmas, I want to talk to you about what's the big deal about the baby in the manger, that little child in the cradle who becomes the king on the cross. Well, I think we all realize that it's significant that he was born literally in a manger, that he came to a stable. He didn't, wasn't born in a palace. You know, when people were looking for God, they, were, they weren't looking for him to come, for a savior to come the way that he came. In fact, it's very interesting when people think about God, they think about God in, in very different forms in the way that he came. People imagine him as a golden calf, a violent wind, an angry volcano, breathing fire, eating infants, fickled, ferocious, angry, to be avoided, to be dreaded, to be appeased. Um, if, you, if you've traveled much of the world, you'll notice that false gods, idols, which people really think is their God, they're all ugly. There, there are not any good looking idols. They're all ugly. You know, they've got multiple hands and fire coming out of their mouth and strong, big, like teeth sticking out. I mean, they're ugly because that's what people think God is like. And what God did is he sent Jesus and had him born in a stable so that people would not be afraid. He wanted them to understand that God came as a human being. And that he lived as a human being and he felt everything that you felt. He understands the human experience. And there is nothing that you will go through that God does not understand. He is not distant. He's close. And it was his love that sent Jesus. But he sent him because he wanted to have relationship with you. Remember, it's in uh, Revelation 4.11 that it tells us that we were created for his pleasure. You know, God wants relationship with you. Uh, I, in, in the video, I mentioned, uh, I just love my little grandkids. And I just get, they, they, I just watch them. And like I said, every little thing is new and exciting. Yesterday, we gave them a couple presents. And every one of them, they're like, ah! You know, and they run around with it. You know, and then a little something else happens. And it's like, ah! You know, everything is, everything is exciting to them. And, and uh, I get pleasure. I mean, I just sit there and watch them and I laugh and it gives me pleasure. Do you know God gets pleasure just watching you, just seeing you? And, and he created you for his pleasure that you would have a relationship with him. Now, yeah, in order for that to happen, Jesus had to die and pay for our sins. But God's purpose was relationship. And sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, I'm going to get right with God, but I got to get rid of this and I got to get rid of that and I got to get rid of the next thing. It's kind of like we want to clean ourselves up and then come to God. 
But, but really, it's kind of like fishing. You know, how many of you have gone fishing at least one time in your life? How many of you caught anything? All right. Now, the fish does not get clean and then get caught. You catch the fish, and then you clean the fish. And that's the way it is with God. You don't need to clean yourself and come to God. You come to God, he'll clean you up. He'll take care of that. You know, and what Jesus does is he shows us what God is like, that he's near, that he's for us. If you're a believer, he's always in you. We could forget him, but he will not forget us. In Matthew, it says, behold, a virgin will be with child, will bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not just God made us, not just God thinks about us, not God above, not God cares, but God with us. No matter where you are, whether you're at home, whether you're asleep, whether you're working, whether you're in your car, your kitchen, at school, the mall, wherever it is, it is God with us. In Luke chapter 2, it says, And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now we're in the same country, shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. They're living in the field. They're keeping watch. They're awake at night because that's really the, the dangerous time for the shepherd. That's when a thief could come. That's when most likely the lion, the wolf, the bear is going to show up. They're, they're keeping watch in case there's a storm. And they're keeping watch over their flocks or over their stock by night. I know some people that they stay up at night because of their stocks. Some because of their job, because of their marriage, because of their kids, because of their grandkids, because of their health, because of a relationship. But, but let me just say this. No matter what's keeping you up, God knows about it. God's concerned about it. And it's, I, I like pa Pastor L. Wave it, everybody. Every time something goes wrong, Pastor L. always says the same thing to me. He says, this is no surprise to God. As, as I was reading the Bible this week. It says, all of his works are known from the beginning. Everything that's ever going to happen, God knows before it happens. He knew from the beginning. It's not a surprise to God. And what we need to do is we need to put our trust and our confidence in him. Just like God had a word for those shepherds, God has a word for every one of us. There is a savior. He cares for you. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to have an important part in your life. He wants to be the center of your life. He wants to move in your life on your behalf. The angels assured them, don't be afraid. I bring you the most joyful news ever announced. It's for everyone. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem. And how will you recognize him? You'll find him wrapped in a blanket, lying in a manger. And suddenly with, with that angel was joined a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God, glorifying God in the highest, singing, peace on earth for those who please him. Goodwill towards men. Notice the angel said, it's the most joyful news ever announced. Another translation says, it's the best news ever announced. I don't know about you, but I have gotten hooked on Fox News. I got the app on my phone. I kid you not, like four times a day. What's happening? It's almost all bad. How many have noticed that? But th there is the best news that has ever been announced. 
The best news is that God loved you so much, he sent a savior. He sent someone to pay for everything that you and I have done wrong so we can be in relationship with God. You see, that's what you were created for. You know, when you find your purpose and to begin to fulfill your purpose, I I recently read about a woman who had committed murder, was in solitary confinement, and became a Christian. And she was bummed out. She thought, you know, I'm in solitary confinement. I can't do anything. I can't affect anybody's life. And then found out the reason she was created was to give God pleasure. And realized I might be all by myself, but I have a purpose even if I'm all by myself. Even if I'm alone, I am created to have relationship with God and to give God pleasure. I don't need to have some external thing. My relationship with God all by itself gives God pleasure. Christmas is not about trees and bulbs and presents and eggnog, although eggnog is wonderful. It's about how much God loves us, how he sent us a savior so we could be in relationship with him. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5. For God was in Christ restoring the world to himself, not counting or holding men's sins against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message he's given us to tell others. So what people believe that God's mad at them, that God is distant. But what God has done, the Bible says he's not holding anybody's sins against them. He has blotted them out. He said, this is the wonderful message that we have, that we can share with others, that that baby grew up, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on a cross and paid for everybody's sins. That baby in the manger becomes the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the day will come when he will wipe away every tear, all our sorrows, our regrets. The manger gives us hope. It's the reason that we can have hope that there is a great future eternally for every one of us. His dying on the cross, his being born in that manger, it wasn't accidental, it wasn't coincidental, it wasn't random, it was God's plan. And again, why a baby? Because people had such strange ideas about God. A golden calf, a violent wind, an angry volcano, fire-breathing cow, somebody that eats infants who's fickled and furious and angry, someone to be avoided and dreaded and to appease. But you know, when you look at an infant, that's not what you think. Nobody was looking for a stable, for a manger. And he became, God left heaven and became a human being. Not like a man, but became a man. The creator of the universe came as a baby. So you would know that he understands you. You'd understand how much he loves you. At Lazarus' tomb, he cried. When there was a multitude, he understood their hunger and he fed them. The woman committed an adultery, he forgave her. To the sick, he was a healer. To the oppressed, a deliverer. To the sinner, a savior. Not just a representative of God, not just a servant of God, not just an instrument of God, not just a friend of God, but God in the flesh, in a human body so that we would understand he understands us completely. 
God knew we needed a savior. When God looked at humanity, he said, they don't need a Band-Aid. They don't even just need an operation. They need a savior. Education can't save them. Politics and government can't save them. The White House, the Republicans or the Democrats can't save us. Good intentions, good works and good people. Jesus came to save us, not to help us save ourselves, but he came to save us. He came to pay the penalty of sin so we could get back in relationship with God. This week I was thinking about Jesus' genealogy. Now, you talk about, you may think that your family is messed up. Let me tell you about Jesus' family. You look up the family tree, you have Tamar. She, she was abandoned and actually got involved in prostitution. Rahab was a prostitute. Bathsheba was an adulterer. Ruth was an immigrant widow. And you look at, at Jesus' family tree, there was chaos in that family tree. It was crooked. It was gnarled. But you know, that chaos did not keep Jesus out of the world. And that chaos in your life or in your family tree will not keep Jesus out. It won't. Jesus came in spite of sin and scandal, in spite of racism and sexism, through people who forgot God, in spite of and out of pandemonium, as a miracle, God left heaven and came to earth. The very God, it says in Colossians, who said, let there be light, that was Jesus. That there was nothing that was made that was not made through him. So you may be hearing this voice in your head saying, don't pay attention, get out, get angry, get high, get drunk. But Jesus is speaking and he's saying, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. No matter how messed up, no matter where you've been, what you've done. I was thinking about Daniel. He's a young man in his teenage years. His nation is defeated in war. The city is captured. Generation wiped out. He's taken and made to serve a foreign king. But what happened in the midst of it all, God took him in that place of captivity and lifted him up. And he became a counselor to kings. Joseph, his brothers hate him, beat him up sell him as a slave. He's lied about, thrown in prison. But out of that position, God took him and promoted him and made him prime minister of a nation. Moses ran away after he murdered an Egyptian, was living on the backside of the desert, retired. And God calls him out of retirement to lead a nation to freedom. And Jesus, it looked like the end when he was nailed to a cross. But there was a resurrection. As you look at Jesus' story, you, you see Joseph and Mary come to Bethlehem and there was no room for them in the inn. That man, that, that innkeeper missed a great opportunity. But Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock, the door of your heart. He says, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And he stands at the door of every heart knocking saying, open up, I'll come in. You're never too old, never too messed up, never too worn out. 
Elijah was depressed. Still, God came to him. Abraham was old, but God still let him out and used him. Moses was long retired when God called him. Jonah was running from God and God still used him. Jacob cheated on his family. Still, God had a place for him. Peter betrayed Christ. Paul persecuted Christ. Thomas doubted Christ. But each learned it was not too late to receive him and for him to do great things with their life. The shepherds and the magi, they were the wise ones. They came. They worshiped. Herod, on the other hand, the king was threatened when he heard about Jesus and actually went and had all of the baby boys in Bethlehem murdered. People do one of two things. They feel threatened by what Jesus has come to do in their life or they accept him into their life. What's the big deal about that baby born in a manger? There's a, a, a little piece called A Solitary Life written some time ago. Let me read it to you. It says, a child is born in an obscure village. He's brought up in another obscure village. He works in a carpenter shop until he's 30. And then for three year, brief years is an itinerant preacher, proclaiming a message and living a life. He never writes a book, never holds an office, never raises an army, never has a family of his own, never owns a home. He never goes to college. He never travels more than 200 miles from the place where he's born. He gathers a little group of friends about him and teaches them his way of life. Will still a young man, the tide of popular feeling turns against him. One denies him, another betrays him. He's turned over to his enemies. He goes through the mockery of a trial. He's nailed to a cross between two thieves. And when dead, is laid in a borrowed grave by the kindness of a friend. Those are the facts of his human life. He rises from the dead. Today, we look back over 2,000 centuries. What kind of a trail has he left across the time? When we try to sum up his influence, all the armies that have ever marched, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned are absolutely minuscule in their influence on mankind compared to that one solitary life. Now, listen. Jesus, you can ignore him, you can fight him, or you can receive him. But we must do something with him. We have to do something with him. When Paul and Silas were in prison and an earthquake came and opened the doors, the jailer came in and said, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on Jesus Christ. Give yourself up to him. Take yourself out of your own keeping. Entrust yourself into his keeping and you will be saved. This applies both to you and to your household as well. We need to do something with Jesus. And it does no good that Jesus was born in, a, in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago and was laid in that manger if he has not been born in your heart. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. Pasquale was a mathematician born in 1623. In the 1640s, he invented a calculator. In the 1650s, he laid the foundation for probability theater, theory. He was an inventor, a physicist, 
a mathematician, a theologian. And over 40 years ago, I I heard this quote from him. He said, there is a God shaped vacuum in the heart of each man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, only by God, the creator made known through Jesus Christ. He's saying inside of us, there is something that is searching. People look in all sorts of places. Some look in relationships, some look in things, some look in wealth, some look in a career, some look in sex or drugs or alcohol, and they're trying to fill that void. But what Pasquale said is there's only one thing that will ever satisfy. And that's because you were created for relationship with God. You were created for his pleasure. And everything else you try is going to leave you empty. So Jesus said, you must be born again. He was saying, you need to turn your life over to me. Trust in me. Live for me. And when you do, the Bible says, at that point, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. He makes you a brand new person on the inside. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? You might be here today and you want to be right with God. But you know in your heart you're not right. You know you're away from the Lord. You might be religious. You might know a lot about God, but you're not living for him. You're not in relationship with him. Now, listen, there's nothing that you could do that would make God love you less or even make him love you more because he loves you perfectly right now. And the most important subject in the world is your soul. Where is it going to be? Paul wrote and said, God is pleading through us. He's imploring you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. If Jesus was here today, he would beg you and say, repent, come to me. I have forgiveness. I have an abundant life for you. And if you're here today, not right, you know you're not right and you want to get right with God. I'm going to count to three in a moment. When I say three, I want you to lift your hand. Then we're going to pray together. And God is going to meet you right here in this place. And when we say amen, you're going to be right with God, forgiven. You're going to have a new life. It's going to make you a new person on the inside. Peace with God. Peace with yourself. Now, as you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying to God is, God, I know I'm a sinner, need a Savior. And I know there's just one Savior. And that's Jesus. And I'm coming to him today. To be saved, to be forgiven. One. As you lift that hand, you're saying, God, today, I'm going to give myself to Jesus. I'm going to take myself out of my own keeping and I'm going to entrust myself to his keeping. I'm going to make him the Lord of my life. Two. As you lift that hand, you're saying, today, Jesus is going to come into my heart. He's going to make me a new person on the inside. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. My past is going to be gone. I'm going to be a part of his family on my way to heaven. Three, just lift that hand up. Say, pray with me. I'm not right. I want to get right. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. Others, thank you. God bless you. Someone else, include me up in the balcony. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Are there others? Thank you. Include me. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. 
Would everyone just take one hand, place it right over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven. And let's pray together with those that lifted their hand. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that today Jesus is born in my heart. That you make me a new person on the inside. A part of your kingdom today and forever in Jesus name. Amen.